Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Konstantin Anisimov, an executive director and board member at CX.io, an ecosystem of crypto native products. Hi Konstantin, it's great to have you on. Pleasure to be on the podcast. So, so one of the things I wanted to start with is CX has started off its life as being calling itself a crypto exchange and we've seen a range of different crypto exchanges coming into existence. On what sort of basis are we seeing exchanges start to differentiate? Is it simply kind of a matter of price or are there other factors that exchanges looking to differentiate on? Very good question, James. And I I hope it's not just the price because we we see this as a as a as a run to the bottom, I would say. Um, as as we can assume that over time the commissions and and the the ability to generate direct revenue will gradually go down to zero with with a an example of uh, places like Robinhoods, for example, where they use a very different business model and and get the uh, they pay for flow to the market makers rather than charge the retail customers. And there's an assumption which is made by quite a few investors um, uh, that this is how the crypto space may progress over a period of time. So I, I hope that none of the large exchanges are are assuming that their revenue streams will keep on growing just because the fees will stay as they are and, and the number of users will keep on growing. You have to be a bit smarter than that. Um, so I would say that one of the ways we were able to differentiate from other players is uh, this two main um, points of differentiation, I would say. Uh, one of them is the fact that we're not just the exchange, and uh, I would say for the last three years we've been building out an ecosystem of crypto-native products. Um, the idea is to become a one-stop shop for anything crypto. And the second point is a very important point: is it's a regulated one-stop shop. So that will become a, a bigger and bigger differentiator over time. That will be a um, a kind of a make-or-break point. Um, with the ability to attract or inability to attract institutional money uh, going forward. And we believe a healthy balance between institutional and retail money and a clear segregation of those flows is very important for a thriving ecosystem, uh, be it crypto or finance or whatever it might be. Um, I'd say say the other thing that um, is also very important is to keep being on the lookout and being at the forefront of innovation when it comes to integration with various DeFi projects and new initiatives on the market. So that that's one of the other pillars of growth for us. I, I cannot, unfortunately, go into too much detail on that, uh, but there's going to be more to come in that in that space. I would say. So, Constantin, one one thing you you mentioned is the idea of CX being a regulated exchange. Could you just give a bit more background as, as to what you mean by being a regulated exchange? Exactly. Thank you very much. And again, very, very, uh, uh, very well pointed out uh, that right now, especially within the UK, there's there's a crypto registration scheme. It's not a full blown regulation. Uh, there isn't a regulation scheme in place yet. Uh, however, we believe that over time, and there's developments in the EU with MICA. Uh, there's, I guess, talks at the federal level uh, in the US. We believe that there will be a full-blown regulation coming in for the crypto space. And when I say regulated, that's a vision for the future. And there's, there, there exists a number of um, avenues to achieve a, a fully regulated status right now with, say, an MTF license, for example. 
Um, I'm not saying we are going ahead with the MTF, but we we are always attuned with what is happening right now, as well as looking ahead into the future. And, and we believe that it's inevitable that over time, um, as the industry grows and it becomes more of a um, a um, interest for the public, but be um, potential um, um, risk for the governments, the regulators will have to regulate it a little bit more tightly, uh, be it uh, promotions or um, best price execution or um, an ability to manipulate markets and things like that. I'm sure all of these things will will come to play. Uh, why this becomes a, a matter of um, distinction is because each one of those the, each one of those regulatory uh, perimeters uh, comes at a cost. There's there's a regulatory moat around it, let's say, and that means you need a higher investments, uh, potentially external investments, and b you need a um, in order to be successful in a regulated business, you need a critical mass of customers, without which the whole business opportunity does not make sense. We believe that we are in a very unique position where we have a large number of customers, a big enough customer base uh, for all of these uh, business um, uh, business avenues to start to make sense. Um, and uh, I'm sure we will be able to finance those uh, those endeavors to become a fully regulated and licensed exchange in the future. So because not everybody will be able to do that, and I'm, I'm sure the regulators also understand that, that uh, there's a flip side to regulation. It, on the one side, the regulation increases stability, safety, uh, it protects the public, it protects the financial system, et cetera. On the other side, if, if it's overly regulated, then it can stifle innovation. And I think there will be, inevitably, there will be an effect where, unless the governments work out a some sort of scheme that allows um, easy access for new incumbents, um, I think over time, a regulatory mode will form and it will be harder and harder for new players to participate. Uh, also, there will be quite a few players who will not be able to achieve regulatory status and that will allow for consolidation and, and a lot of M&A activity in the market, be it in the UK, EU, US. I My, my proposition is, my idea is that uh, all of those markets will develop in a very similar way with with uh, let's say anywhere between five and ten market leaders um, evolving and uh, really securing their marketplace and we hope to be one of those. That's really interesting I think one of the areas we've seen also focus on this as well has been the concept of decentralized versus centralized exchanges and there seem to be almost different approaches with decentralized exchanges tend to be more adverse to getting all the regulatory licenses, which sometimes are more compatible with more centralized exchanges. Do you have any views on the difference between decentralized and centralized exchanges? And do you see one's intrinsically best than the other, or is it more a question of getting the right tool for the job? I think it's the latter, James. I think it's the right tool for the job, at least at this point in time. I, I think uh, the decentralized world allows for, because there is no regulation, because there's essentially no rules to break, it allows for much faster innov innovation, ability to create products that didn't exist before, uh, which is super exciting. And I, I hope we don't, well, actually, I don't think we can kill that off. Let's, let me rephrase that. No, no matter what the regulators and governments wanted to do, the decentralized communities is there to be outside of the government's remit. In, in many ways, is 
we may agree with that. We may disagree with that. I think that's irrelevant. It is there and you have to, um, you can't not acknowledge the fact that it exists. Um, my idea with, with regards to how do you tackle that is if you approach decentralized exchanges with the traditional ways of regulation, I personally don't see that working. Let, let's say I think the SEC tried it with Uniswap, with the tech team that developed the Uniswap. Um, if that was the case, then would you put regulation and regulatory um, uh, burdens on people that, let's say, the coders that work on the London Stock Exchange or other outsourcing financial um, development teams? It doesn't quite make sense in, in many ways. Um, and ultimately, there isn't, I mean, the Uniswap development team has done quite a bit of work, but they, I'm sure they haven't been the only one contributing to the project. Uh, because a lot of these things are open source. So uh, ultimately, you would not be able to find who it is that is responsible for the overall operation of the project. Um, my view is that there should be, over time, uh, forming a, uh, a almost like a rule book, which good projects subscribe to, like a, um, let's say, a, um, a code of excellence or a code of conduct, um, for, for the better word. And those projects within DeFi community or, or any web free applications, et cetera, any DAOs, um, if they subscribe to that code of conduct, then, and you could probably do it on a programmatical level as well. So you don't have to trust, audit, verify, like all of that burden, which is currently on the government goes away. If the project says they're part of that code of conduct community, which is verifiable potentially in a blockchain with a, a list of rules, and the blockchain is is the proof of that then uh, that creates the critical mass which would i mean essentially these are all financial instruments and money always likes stability um and and calm and if you can verify that it's safe and stable then there will be more money to come into those DeFi projects if you can verify segregation and, and various um, um aml practices and again this could be done distributed in, in my mind, there could be a, a DAO which which provides KYC services um, in an anonymous way, yet uh, allows the the overall the code of conduct organization to verify that a specific DEX does not work with, say, sanctioned people, for example. So I think the approach needs to change. The, the result could be very much the same, but a lot more efficient than what we have right now. And that, that, that is my view. I, I may be completely wrong here, and I, I know some of it is quite far-fetched, but I hope we'll see a, a paradigm shift in how the regulation is approached worldwide in general. And as soon as you talk about the worldwide approach, do you see that the um, international approach to change is developing at the moment, or do you think that that, that needs, needs to come into existence and there needs to be more of a unified approach between regulators? As much as I would want the regulators to work together, I understand that each regulator is part of a specific government and governments have their own agendas. And as much as they want to be fair, they, they will be inadvertently, they will be doing what the government expects them to do. It, it, that's how the system is set up right now. Each, each government has their own interest. And you would hope that all the governments would have their own, would have aligned interests, but we've I guess we've seen with uh, major worldwide bills like the uh, minimum corporate tax level uh, that it's not that easy. 
to get everybody to agree. There's always going to be one that says, well, this is all great, but we will become the next tax-free heaven and uh, for corporates and we'll, we'll tax everybody at half of what the rest of the world does. And what do you do with that country? And do you exclude them completely? And, and it becomes quite complicated. So I, I think this might actually be led and driven by the market. And it would be a kind of a, a method of self-regulating by the good players, the good platforms, the good players of the market who say uh, the platforms want to provide a good and stable service for the clients, uh, the customers. The customers want to be certain that whenever they engage with the operation with the with the platform, that they are not at risk of losing their funds. They're not at risk of their funds being commingled with something they wouldn't want to be their funds to be commingled with. And it may be driven by commerce. It may be driven by business. Um, I guess sound business sense and and the need for uh, good platforms to stand out from the crowd. And that may be a differentiation of on how much they're prepared to they're they're able to charge and how much participants of those DEXs are willing to pay for those services. So that it could be kind of a self-governed, self-driven effect, which potentially the governance may if that becomes large, let's say one of those if that network becomes as large as Facebook, then I wouldn't be surprised if government starts subscribing to that level and method of operation. And just one thing for those who are kind of getting used to dealing with crypto exchanges, is there anything you would warn people about or suggest users look for before using a particular crypto exchange? I, I'd say, well, first of all, <laughs> the, the usual things, do not do not invest money you can't afford to lose. Uh, that's That's a very, very, um, that's an advice that goes for any financial instruments, but more so for crypto due to volatility and, and potential risks. Uh, I'd say the uh, user experience has imp been improved greatly in the last three years. So if you take one of the top tier uh, cryptocurrency exchanges, um, I, I'd say make sure that whichever jurisdiction you're in, the, the exchange that you uh, select is... Um, is with the good uh, is on the good side of regulation with your governments. You don't want to be uh, essentially investing into a platform which may be a good platform, but they're not within the regulatory per perimeter of your jurisdiction. Then you'll have problems with the banks when you try and get the money out. Um, so you, they they may do uh, they may have the best intentions, but you as a user may not have the um, the easiest um, experience. So um, obviously for the UK, since I'm on the podcast, I would always recommend ourselves. We're, we're very well placed for the UK markets. Um, we have a mobile app, which makes it super easy to, um, with a couple of clicks to buy crypto. Um, all, all the crypto which we list in our exchanges have been through due diligence, et cetera. So you have, again, a level of affirmation that you're, whatever you're investing into is, is reasonable and decent. Um, I'd say keep it simple, keep it small. Uh, don't, don't. And again, in the U in the UK, it's prohibited anyway to use derivatives. But if you stumble upon things like buying crypto with leverage, etc., and you're a newbie, please don't do that because it's it's very very high risk, and you really need to know what you're doing. You ideally need to be a professional investor uh, to participate in derivative trading with crypto. Um, and um, I, I'd say take it step by step. I, the way I started is um, obviously you buy a little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of Ethereum, you understand the mechanics, you understand how transactions work on blockchain, and then you can start 
going into stakeable coins, and then you can start looking at DeFi and, and using non-custodial wallets, etc. But please, please, please remember that um, the, the rhetoric that you hear from people uh, and services that offer non-custodial wallets is you become your own bank, which seems like a very amazing proposition. You have full control of your money, and I completely subscribe to that. I think it's great. Uh, however, what people forget about is you have full responsibility of your money. If you lose your private keys, it's gone. There isn't, you cannot write to MetaMask and say, give me my money back. It will not work uh, or, or any other non-custodial wallets for that matter. Um, the, the money is held on blockchain. The funds are held on blockchain. You lose the private keys and you cannot verify your ability to uh, your your proof of ownership of those uh, of those funds and it's completely evaporated into <laughs> into the ether of blockchain. So be super careful about that. Make sure you again what I what I've always done is being an engineer. I'd always try things on small um, sums of money that I am fully completely prepared to lose in case I make a mistake. And, and I think over time mistakes will be made. So just just keep it. Keep it low risk to start with and gradually build up your portfolio. And then once you're comfortable with non-custodial and, and how blockchain operates and staking, I think the next step is to go into DeFi. And um, there's when it comes to DeFi, I would recommend looking at uh, various charts uh, that, that explain the level of risk and also do your due diligence and research as to whether a specific smart contract has had been hacked recently, um, how many audits they've had, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to go into too much detail, but the main the main um, approach is start small, start simple, and increase that level of complexity very gradually so you manage the risk. And lastly, a little bit of crystal ball gazing. And what we see all this heading in terms of the future exchanges. I know you mentioned before how you're moving towards more of an ecosystem type approach. And given the number of new exchanges which get, get created, what do you think is going to happen in the future in terms of how exchanges are going to develop? I, um, as I said, I think when when you talk about centralized exchanges, I see a a big um, split into the ones that are within the regulated perimeter and the ones which are not uh, happening in the next one to two years. And I think we'll have like two camps formed: uh, the regulated versus non-regulated. Um, and within the regulated exchanges, because of the cost of regulation mostly, and because of the success and, and the size of the incumbents, existing incumbents of the um, e um, of the industry, I think we'll see a lot of consolidation, uh, where um, let's say ninety percent of the market will be controlled by four or five participants, um, and at, let's say four to five participants per jurisdiction. So uh, across the, the Americas, Europe and the UK, uh, we'll probably have 15 to 20 big players, not more. Uh, every Everything else will either be acquired or will die off naturally, or we'll move to a non-regulated sphere. And I think there it, it's uh, right now with the progression and innovation within the DeFi sector, if people I think it's unlikely that there will be a huge number of new centralized exchanges created for the non-regulated market, because if you are trying to do that and you have an interesting business proposition, then it almost makes more sense to create a distributed um, anonymous organization, a DAO, 
uh, and create a DEX on top of that. And and this way, it's much more future proof because everybody can contribute to the building of your project. It's it's much more of a community project, etc. And again, within those, there will be an element of consolidation, an element of, um, I guess, you can't really have merges there as, as such, but there will be a consolidation or concentration of users on specific good platforms. So again, maybe in the order of 20s to 30s of, of really uh, of the ones that control 80 to 90 percent of of the um, uh, total value locked or total total volume of tradable assets. And then I think within DEXs, there's going to be a constant flow and stream of new DEXs being formed. And that's where a lot of the innovation will keep on happening. That's my view. Thank you, Constantine. That's been absolutely fascinating. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. If anyone listening wants to reach out to Constantin, his email is ka at cex.io. Constantin, thank you for coming on. It's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Gunnar Cook has a market-leading blockchain, crypto assets, and DeFi team providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem. Our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start, meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients' needs and can provide focused, pragmatic advice at predictable cost. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you again.